Hello everyone and welcome to Heart Yoga Radio, the home of woke. <laughs> Another damp day here in Wales, so we're sitting inside and we've got some special stuff to talk about today. We have been very bravely researching and listening to speakers from the National Conservatism Conference, which has just happened recently, and um, it's something special. To me, it feels like a kind of carnival of grotesques. It's like the Tory <laughs> mask has dropped, finally, and they are pre- presenting their true face to us all. And it's it's not a surprise at just like how evil it really is to me, to be honest. I, I know that they talk about this stuff, but the, the very interesting thing about this is that they are proudly presenting this face of evil to the public. Um and not keeping it behind closed doors, not keeping it quiet. And the, the clips, which you've probably all seen and been disgusted by by now, of various keynote speakers, have not been leaked, secretly been filmed by left activists or anything like that. They have been curated and let out by design. This is what some Tories want us to see and the image of, of them as they stand there. So at the, the very least, there was Gove, Mog, Braverman, uh, being absolutely delighted and cheering on the utter, insane garbage that was coming out of the mouths mm. of some of the people who were there. Uh, so let's let's uh, talk about the conference, first of all, and um, mm. to go over some of the things that were said and the kind of ideas that were thrown around. <laughs> You might want to sit down for this if you don't know about it. All right, then. Let's start off with uh, Douglas Murray. Oh. Um, he was special. Yeah, he's, he, I mean, he's, I love the way he presented himself. He's, he's, he's standing and uh, he's very serious in the way he's talking with this, his emotionless face and Thunderbird's haircut and his yeah. neat suit. And, like, very little in the way of gestures and and uh, physical movements as very like mannequin like robot and uh, yeah like a robot yeah and um this this is probably if you've seen any clips that probably this one where he uh he says that there's nothing wrong with nationalism in the british context but <laughs> only in the german context see the germans mucked up didn't they 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 mucked it up and that's why we think that nationalism is a bad thing. But really, it is fabulous and we should embrace it and be proud mm. of our countries. Mm. And our, oh, my God, and big round of applause and all this sort of stuff. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, so tell, tell me, like, like um, so the, well, see, the Nazis Benny. just mucked up a little bit. They made yeah. a little bit of a boo-boo there, didn't I they? I mean, it just, it, it, it showed the, 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 atti- the attitude, really. Um, and not much not much more. He's got much between his ears. Yeah, no the, compassion the whatsoever or empathy no, no. for any other human being. No, I mean, uh, but the, the organisers thought that that was one of the things worth... worth, worth Heavily publicising. W- worth putting putting out yeah. on, on Twitter and on um, on YouTube and all the rest of it, and it's been wide, widely seen and widely commented on by the you know the well by everyone by, by now the, it looks the, like the, even us <laughs> you know the left of centre co- co- commentariat you know Navarra 
Owen Jones, all these sort of people all have something to say about about that, and, and rightly because it's just it's astonishing, you know. It, it's like the man has no no insight into into the import of what he's saying, no, the weight of, of of what could be implied from what he said, you know. Um, maybe that's the point, you know. <laughs> anyway, they they thought fit to put him out, but he's, he's he's the least interesting, really, in some ways. From his mannequin-like performance, we have a a, a nice contrast with Catherine Burblesing, who's yeah. was Hitler at Nuremberg tribute act. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> she was like she literally like you could just see herself modelling modelling herself on Hitler in the delivery of. And and the and the cadence of her speech and uh, um, mm. the way that the, her gesticulations and what she was wearing even, my God, it was it was an absolute rant. Mm. Cool, she was uh, she was special. Uh, tell us a bit about her. Well, I don't know all that much about her, except that she's supposed to be uh, Britain's strictest headmistress and prides herself on the success of her school. Which I believe is very strict, um, and she, she, she holds pretty far right ideas and values. And uh, to my mind, I, I mean, I detect sadism. To, to be absolutely honest, you know, mm. and uh, there is there is a story about her. And I don't know whether it's true or not, but it's going the rounds on social media that that, that kids who got into whose parents got into debt with their dinner money were segregated at lunchtime. And given an apple and a sandwich, but not the full hot meal, and not allowed to associate with their friends. And a letter went out to the parents, signed by the deputy head of the school, which is all over Twitter. So how culpable she is on that? But it shows like an attitude of, I mean, just the idea that the old kind of like nineteen thirties headmaster, you know, the cane. I mean, if if you could bring back the cane, she'd she'd be, she'd be there, you know. She'd be first in line. And the, the, she? the school's job is to inculcate very very sort of conservative social values, and obedient, uh, robotic um, uh, pupils, you know. So I wouldn't want to be in a school under that. Um, no, she's very, very anti-woke, isn't she? she yeah, she, she got to think about being about bonnet about woke and cultural Marxism and and all the rest of the of the, the stuff, you know. So, um, but yet it was a spectacle to, to my mind. It yeah. was an absolute, an absolute spectacle, and they obviously they put that one out as well because they thought this would impress at least some section of the community. They're, they're fighting. That I'm in this stuff at somebody, you know. There's an imagined, God knows who. <laughs> there's an imagined demographic. Yeah. And so it's difficult to know because it is so kind of spectacularly kind of crazy to my mind. And, and certainly David Starkey, a, a, a far right historian, to my mind, cut a similarly bizarre figure uh, with a bizarre speech. None of it. Very interesting in its own right, to be honest with you. Um, they are singularly people who you, who you want to be as far away from as you can. For me, I would just experience revulsion yeah. and dislike, and uh, and uh, and obviously, I don't, I don't agree with the ideas that they're putting out, which seem to to my mind just just to be absolutely backward looking, you know, reactionary, which of course they would admit. 
you know, it's, it's the a key part of whatever philosophy is being channeled here. A key part of it is that, and they get this from Edmund Burke, it, it, it is that society only hangs together because we have a, a, a very strong regard for tradition and continuity, but also. And this I agree with. There are some points I agreed with. I agree with the general tenor. One of which is is that the other part of that is that you think about the people of the future, and I always say that. And our, our socialist Welsh government has got a, um, a people of the, the future unit. You know, all 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 Welsh Parliament legislation has to has to pass the people of the future test. It's like you have to work out what the consequences are going to be for gener- for the whole generation ahead on a group of people who, who, who will be around when we're not around, but living with our legacy. So there is a concern for that, and I understand it. But, but, they, are, but they are equally committed to, pres- and, and, and believe it's a matter of life and death for civilization that the continuity from the past through the present to the future is uh, maintained. That is a strong thread all the way through. That's why you get you you, you get like a, a hostility to, towards any any change or anything new, and that that then can become the basis of culture wars. So, who else was speaking at the conference? Well, I understand that a, a number of prominent parliamentary Tories uh, spoke, amongst them Suella Braverman, who's the Home Secretary, which is one of the three senior offices of state alongside the Prime Minister and the Chancellor. So that is a real big a big, a, a big wheel out of the Conservative Party and in fact out of the government. Gove, I don't know what Gove's doing there now, whether he's got a post or not, but obviously a big wheel in Conservatism. And, and, and there's been a player since Brexit. Who else was who else was from the front bench? Mog, Ma- Ma- who's it's on the back benches now, but Mog Mog has served as leader of the house, minister for this, that, and the other. Rhys Mog. Um, prominent was an MP called Danny Kruger, who I suspect is he's sort of closely allied with the organisers of, of this. Because he did a plenary speech. In other words, he was like one of the important builders. One of the important speeches from Danny Kruger. Who's only been an MP, a Tory MP since um, since 2019, so he's a new Tory MP. Now I watched this thing all the way through because it was the plenary, and I thought, well, I can get an idea of where they're coming from from him. And he's a different kettle of from Burbel Singh and Starkey and and Douglas Murray, who, who are just kind of fringe nutters if I might be so bold as to say in my le- opinion your honour they're people of questionable sanity even certainly of question- questionable intellectual ability uh, but, but Kruger was measured his ideas hung together I mean he's a, po- he's a posh twat in a suit he's not attractive to, to somebody like me but he was measured his ideas kind of hung together there was a structure there was a logic he showed that he had a certain knowledge of the, you know, the historical foundations of, of conservatism. And I watched that, and I was able to watch it and take notes. And I watched that all the way through. And I, I think this, this Kruger guy is important because I, 
He's obviously he's instrumental in organising the thing. The thing was organised by the Edmund Burke Society. Edmund Burke was an 18th century writer and parliamentarian. He was a member of Parliament for various constituencies in the in the in the, the later in the second half of the 18th century, and he lived through the French Revolution, the American Revolution the so-called European Enlightenment and so forth. And he, and he could turn a phrase, so he's still, he's still famous, he's still studied and his books are still in print. He, he, he carries some regard as, a, as an intellectual. And he was friends with David Hume and, uh, and various other, other big players in, in the cultural movement called the European Enlightenment, which basically the all that stuff that happened in the turmoil of the 18th century, the late 18th century. So in Kruger, Kruger um, to my mind, it, it was almost channeling Burke, you know. So obviously what he, what he was saying is what the conference would in toto try to put, would, would be hoping, would be hoping to put across and to, and to inject into the culture as a, as a force. But they'd thrown their net wide. It's clear that they'd thrown their net wide. But it wasn't, not everybody was going to agree with every point on, 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 on what Kruger was going to say. But this is the core of what message of what the whole thing was set up to propagate. Under a rubric of free speech and broad church and big tent. So they could bring in these French fringe wallers and give them an airy. To actually say to them, look, we've had a free speech us. We're into a debate. Let's mm-hmm. debate these conservative ideas. Right. Yeah, they're, so, they're so, so into very... free, to free speech that as soon as somebody interrupted them who didn't agree with them, they had them dragged off by the goons. Oh yeah, there were there <laughs> were various protests and interjections and echoes, and they were all dragged off. And and certain um, left wing media were denied passes, weren't allowed in. One one or two smuggled themselves in, and reported back having smuggled themselves in. And I've kind of listened to them as well. I've also listened to some secondary pundit punditry on this politics Joe I thought was quite good the guy from Open Democracy who smuggled himself in by by using his posh accent and wearing a I don't know a, a union jack bow tie or something talked his way in but Navarro were excluded I mean Jones was told to stay away and stuff like this there's no there's no passes left but oh, there was yeah. plenty of room in there it yeah. wasn't full they didn't fill it yeah so this Danny Kruger, that, that was important. So I watched that. I watched Burbel sing. I watched the others you mentioned. But this, this was interesting because, as I said, he tried to actually do some, some political philosophy. I have to say, it's political, political philosophy that when you just scrape the shine off it, it's absolutely full of holes and lacunae. In other words, things which are not discussed, which need to be discussed. Mm-hmm. To, to, to make the whole thing make sense and to hang together. You expect a political philosophy to have a certain coherence and it, 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 really, it really doesn't, but it appears to. I'm sure it'll impress a lot of people with its neatness, mm. but it's neat because of what they miss out. You know, so that, I mean, I can go into the, the, Kruger, the Kruger speech and I'd like to because... Well, yeah, let's do it then. Let's, you know, let's, in, in, let's in expose a, what you said. In a, in, a, in a sort of a, in a critical way. Because that was the thing that I, th- I thought give, was going to give me the most purchase for the least effort, because it is like... 
I don't know, it's like eating sawdust, you know, having to sort of engage with this this, this stuff. But I think we do need to expose it to the best of our, our ability. All right, let's move through what Danny Kruger said then. Okay, well, Danny Kruger, as I just mentioned, was was channeling, I would say, Edmund Burke. Uh, I'll say a little bit about Danny Kruger first. He, he, he's the founder, alongside another 2019 Tory intake parliamentarian called Miriam Cates, uh, of a group called the New Social Covenant Unit, and that tells you a lot about them. And it, it's a group which is associated with Policy Exchange, which in turn is associated with Tim Montgomery, you might have heard of, and Matthew Elliott, who was, who was behind... Um, Brexit about Levy um, vote leave Matthew Elliott big player um, big moneyed guy player and the whole lot comes under the Stockholm network network it's affiliated with the Stockholm network which, which is a network of market orientated think tanks globally well Europe Europe wide and there's at least 120 right wing uh, market orientated threats for think tanks in this organisation, so he's embedded in this this right wing um, network, which is part formal, part informal, which spans the globe, which is uh, you know it's the right international, as Yanis uh, Varoufakis calls it. Just so you know who he is, then. Now, I think this this move to push the uh, Kruger's ideas and the ideas of the Edmund Burke Society in, out, out into the culture and into the body politic and try, and try and launch it as a movement is an attempt by uh, a, a, a faction of the, the right wing to deal with the, the crisis that it's going through. And it's a crisis that uh, if you want to put it in big, broad brushstrokes, is brought about by the um, exhaustion of, of neoliberalism, of the Thatcherite, you know, free, free market, no such thing as society, individualism, smash the unions, project. And... Uh, in 2008, it was pretty clear that the, the whole thing did, it wasn't going to work, didn't work. And governments have been, have been having to intervene against the policy, against the philosophy, uh, all over the place. I mean, and, and COVID brought that home. You know, there was no way it was going to be dealt with without intervention. Big intervention from the governments. And they failed because they, they, they've already uh, unpicked They've already dismantled the culture of governments being able to to act efficiently in a in in an entrepreneurial manner. You might say it's the entrepreneurial state is the thing that they demolished. So there was nothing in place when COVID hit. You know, but of course when two thousand and eight hit, the first thing they did they they were printing money like it was now tomorrow. They were able to say that. So that that is the demise of the of the neoliberal project. I mean, Milton Friedman, who's one of the big gurus of neoliberalism, his big thing was do not print money. You know, supply-side economics. You're printing too much money. It's causing inflation. And that was the first thing that they did. It was the only thing they could think of to do in 2008. Otherwise, the world would have gone down the tube completely. 
So that failure of the big idea of the last 60 years, because, I mean, remember the neoliberal project has been owning itself since the 30s, actually, since the 1930s. But by now, it's pretty clear that it's failed. And the, the, the conservatives are very disorientated. It's wrong to think, or, or the right wing, or the oligarchs, if you want to talk about this, you know, this rule of the very rich, is one which is characterised by massive factionalisation within that class. The tech bros don't agree with the finance guys completely. On some things they do, on others they don't, they fight. And then manufacturing against something else, you know. So anyway, Kruger, Kruger is somebody who's trying to rethink the whole thing on behalf of the Tories, on behalf of his tribe, to give it a fresh intellectual basis, I would say. I don't think he's up to it. I don't think he's clever enough or, or learned enough. Or, uh, but nevertheless, he, 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 you know, he's articulate and he's, he's obviously also positioning himself for what's going to happen when this, when this thing shakes out into even more chaos. Because they're almost certainly going to go down big style in the next general election. They lost a thousand seats to the Tory party. At the, uh, the, uh, at the 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 local in the local elections in England recently, over a thousand council seats. So Kruger Kruger's trying to trying to paint himself as the intellectual white knight who, who rides to the rescue. And his big idea, he does represent a break with neoliberalism, is that neoliberalism emphasises the individual too much. Right? And that, that's why he blames, and he blames the Conservatives for it, because obviously they, they ran with it big style, you know, and Mrs Thatcher put all of her power behind it, and Ronald Reagan put all of his power behind it, and they ran, they ran with it big style, but he's now turned around saying that was a mistake, or at least it's, it's led to a bad place. It's a big turnaround. It's a big turnaround. Yeah. And the new emphasis is the thing that, the thing in some senses... Really contradicting the hatred of Hayek, Friedman, and Buchanan for, for, for unions, or in fact for any kind of collective activity, for, the th for thinking that involves collectivities. Because their big idea is we can understand the economy if we understand that it's, it's, it's transactions, trades between individuals in which they bargain to arrive at a price. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of simplistic economics 101, supply-demand curve stuff, you know. And the, the, the market has this magical property to put everything right, right? So therefore there's no need to, and, and there's no need to think about government and government activity or the state. In fact, they, in fact they, would, they would just reduce the state to what they called the night watchman state, which would basically just be police and army, but you have a big army because you've got to defend, defend it. But the way the way neoliberal neo panned out, and this is partly to do with historical turns of events allowing it to pan out like this, but it panned out that it that it, it wasn't particularly nationalist. It was because it's purely e economic. It, it it became the global hegemonic system, global. China's in it. Russia's in it. America's in it. The EU's in it, Latin America's in it, everybody in the world's in it, in, in a, a system of power and trade and economics which transcends natural boundaries. And this is what they don't like about it, because their thing is the nation state, right? 
the unit the unit needs to be the unit of analysis needs to be the nation state then the community then the family and that these are all more important than the individual and that actually it's, it's right and correct and the proper thing for a human being to do is to subsume their individuality to downplay their individuality to sacrifice it to the family to uh, to the community and to the nation state right and, and that duty matters more than your individual rights. You could summarise this whole thing is that, that the, the neoliberals, because their, their idea was that, that the econ- we could understand the economy and therefore rule the world very efficiently by treating all economic transactions as those between individuals in, in matters of trade and settling a price and buying and selling things, that that was how we understand it. Right. And we don't use any collective units. You know, and and I mean, really, this was to, this was just to provide a philosophical excuse by c- claiming that this is what mattered—a philosophical excuse to to ban trade unions or at least se- severely attenuate their activities. And similarly, the civil rights movement, Buchanan absolutely detested the civil rights movement because it was people ganging together to get the government to to restrict the freedoms of individuals who wanted to practice discrimination in the deep south and this is where it this is where it this is where the racism sticks to it you know so this is a huge difference yes and he said yeah. i mean he summar- i mean i think maybe burke i don't know whether burke summarized it like this or or, or, or kruger i don't remember but kruger is burke from what i can say you understand Burke, you understand Kruger, you know. The, 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 idea, the idea is that society should be organised around duties and that people do their duty rather than around rights that you that the, 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 the purpose of society is to guarantee and the purpose of government is to guarantee your rights as an individual, which the neoliberals had to play up, at least theoretically. In practice, they don't practise it. They don't mind how many, how, 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 how many Chinese labourers are kept in their slave library, slavery in China, whereas they'll preach, they'll preach individual freedom in America till the cows come out. Because the truth of it is a global system of power that requires slavery in China and individual liberty in America, and they'll run with that. But theoretically, because the individual is the unit of analysis, for the economy on which the whole philosophy is based, they have to present that face to the world, but it's not their true face, their Jainist face. They'll go with anything as long as the, the, the global system of power can operate. Now, these guys have reacted against this from within the right, hmm. and it's huge yeah. in, some, in some kind of sense. Um, now... This conference was put on by the Edmund Burke Society, and I tried to find out who they were, and they're all over the place. We keep saying it's an American import, the the the, the left uh, punditry saying that, but from what I can it was founded in Holland. Uh, uh, the, and then it moved, and there's there's there is an Edmund Burke Society in the UK. There's one in Israel. There's one in America. Now Edmund Burke's an eighteenth-century philosopher who. It's credited with um, being the father of American conservatism, and he's huge in America. But you also see some pundits about the father of British conservatism. 
he, interestingly, he was an MP for various constituencies in the 18th century for, for nearly 30 years. And he was a Whig, in other words. that was the, the, the Whigs, there were two parties, the Tories and the Whigs. He wasn't a Tory, he was a Whig. He was on the, he was on the Conservative wing of the, of the Whigs. And they had their struggles and their splits to say him. You know, they, they, they fought Captain Dog over the French Revolution. Was it a good thing, was it a bad thing? They split down the middle on something as significant as that. Uh, na- naturally, um, Burke was, as a monarchist, you know, didn't, didn't uh, quite like the idea of the, the, the uh, well, well, as a monarchist and a traditionalist, he hated the French Revolution and, and, and spent a lot of power polemicising against it in some very, very purple prose. So Kruger, Kruger, you can see, he's trying to. He's also trying. He's he's trying to save conservatism, but he's by casting it as national conservatism, by re-establishing the the category of the nation state and the and the family, which is again a collectivity. It's a smaller and the community a smaller collectivity. And here I agree agree with him, is that he wants more power to local communities. Well, so do I. You know, I think small is beautiful, but for exactly di- for, for vastly different reasons from this idiot. Because he thinks all that's got to sit under a very, very strong nation state. And then there's the other interesting thing. You say, well, why? Why do the Burkeans uh, think so much of the, the nation state, of, you know, the British state and nationalism? You know? And that, that, they think that following Burke, that society holds together through religion and culture, right? And, and because, we, because we have agreed practices, agreed norms, uh, 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 we, we worship in the same way, that that produces a social solidarity uh, that comes under, under the nation and, and the king, you know. I mean... Now, the thing about this is, and he follows Burke on this, that this is natural. It's natural. I mean, Burke actually said it, and uh, Kruger echoes it. I mean, this is what Burke said. Burke said, uh, the laws of commerce are the laws of nature. (laughs) Oh, God. And therefore, the laws of God. So you can see from that, this is why why, uh, religion is so important, you know. But all this is just natural. Yeah, well, if you get people to believe that, they'll believe anything. <laughs> That's right, yeah. I mean, Marx actually noted Burke saying this somewhere in Capital in, in a footnote, you know. And uh, he quotes that. The laws of nature are the law, uh, uh, The laws of commerce are the laws of nature and therefore the laws of God. And then Marx says, uh, um, no wonder that uh, true to the laws of God and nature, Burke always sold himself in the best market. He, he, he believed Burke was a bit of an opportunist and a blow with the wind yeah. type, you know. Yeah. I mean, and Burke's philosophy is full of contra- contradictions. Now, uh, Kruger says pretty well exactly the same thing, you know. Um, in fact... That would be my first point of criticism: the idea, the idea that any of this stuff is somehow natural and given and oh, God or, and God ordained. Yeah. 
As though that was not questionable. That is the point where we no longer ask any questions. Does he ever explain at any point, like try and justify that, or no. does he just, but does he just state it and no. then move on? No. Well, he, he, he says, he says, uh, you, you know, that their analysis is. They're the, again, where do I agree with Kruger? Let's just be very, very charitable here. Well, he says he he attempts to answer the question of why is there so much misery in our country? They admit that there's misery, yeah. and, the, and and they admit this gang admit that the Tories are partly responsible for it, for pushing neoliberalism to to uh, further than it was able to go, that we are now living in in its its catastrophic collapse. You know, we're now living with the consequences of doing that, and he recognises that. Hmm. And we so so he asks. You know, he asks the same question that we ask: Why this misery? And and this is his answer. He said it's partly economic and partly cultural. Well, we kind of agree, you know. And, and and when he speaks about the nineteenth century, following that, he says, "Well, Marx was right about the nineteenth century bourgeoisie. It was partly economic and partly cultural." He actually said the words in his speech: "Marx was right." Wow. About something, even though oh. Mar- Marxists are the new enemy. Huh. In fact, what it says on the um, the National Conservative, the National Conservatism website, it says that uh, this conference is set up to combat China in uh, in the you know in in the glo- the greater world and to combat Marxism at home. That is what their stated what, how? enemy enemy is, you know. But okay. nevertheless, he's prepared to say that Marx was right in saying it's partly economic and partly cultural. And uh, what he blames is, is, is it, it, then he actually goes very, very metaphysical. Since he's a, obviously a God-botherer, because all of this happens because God says so, and that's why religion has to be the, the key point, mm. you know. He said he blames universalism and globalism. Over and against the nation and locality, right? Now, I, I, I can't, you know, there's a part of me that, 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 that agrees because globalism in the form of, cor- you know, a, a, a hegemony of, of corporations and uh, financial institutions that scan the globe is, is a disaster for people because small is beautiful and, we, and communities, we like them and, and it's good, you know. So I'm not arguing with him about that, to be honest with you. But it's it's the, the, do you then need to 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 create this artificial category of the nation and give it all your allegiance within that? In the light of that, he he sees that the, the cultural problem is that we we is, is well he says universalism which is the idea that there is something universal about human beings. That's why you have the United Nations Declaration of Universal Human Rights. Not human rights, universal human rights. Human rights are not rights unless they apply across the board, are they? They have to apply to everybody, black, brown, men, woman, trans, child, yeah. Eskimo, everybody, worker, everybody, equal, right? Human rights... They're equal in the sense that they all have these ineluctable rights. This is the thing that he wants to go against and says, "Well, what's right for us isn't right for you." <laughs> you know, and we, we we need to we need to sort of make a big thing about our, our particularity, about the thing that being English makes us different from being French or something like that. And that really matters. 
And uh, a part of the the cultural move that he hates is, is is been performed by some group of people who he calls the intelligentsia. I think he just means people with more than two brain cells. <laughs> the intelligentsia, he yeah. says. Uh, Danny Krug says, are loyal to everyone, and therefore loyal to no one. And this uh, uh, Theresa May parroted this, didn't she? She said, you know, uh, uh, yeah, because you're a citizen of everywhere, you're a citizen of nowhere. And to my mind, that, 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 is, that is the best way to be. Yeah. Because if everybody was a citizen of everywhere... Well, they'd be the know them and us, then. There, is, there, is, no basis, there is no basis for uh, imperialistic wars. Yeah. yeah. Even though, after again, where do I agree with them? They say they don't like imperialism and they don't like multi- transnational corp- corporations because imperialism, and neither did Burke, you know. Um, imperial, imperialism... You know, tax away a nation, and you can see why they're like it's where one nation deprives another nation of its sovereignty. You know, so you can see why they don't like it, and we don't like that 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 either. You know, but the idea here is 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 that because nations are natural, right, and God given. Right, Burke actually kind of said this, you know, he said it's all God-given, you know, we can't interfere with it. And it's the Constitution. And that the Constitution, it's the nice thing to the British Constitution, Burke saying the Constitution is King, Lords and Commons. <laughs> and that's the proper Constitution of, wow. of the British nation, you know. And, and it's natural, and that God has put his stamp on it. And, and you can, the only revolution you can have is a revolution to preserve that if it's threatened, which of course is what they did in 1688. What a fun you know. guy. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is the thinking here, and I think the fault lying in the big fault in is it just it's just calling all this stuff natural, as now that's all you need to do to to justify it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what he says is because we don't, we don't because we. We've got this globalism and these transnational corporations, and we've got imperialism, and we've got this, we've got this leveling out of, of the this flattening of locality and local differences, and this flattening of nation, nations as they have to, as they get subsumed under big um, transnational institutions like the EU. This is the whole Brexit thing comes out of this mm. philosophy. He says the result of that is that we're left with a, a, a terrible, a terrible cultural situation, which we, in which there is a defined enemy, and we need to fight it. Mm. And the enemy is the new religion. And the new religion is a mix of narcissism, Marxism, paganism, and nature worship. Well, I think that's me, you know. <laughs> so, in other words, the woke then. Yeah. Yeah. The woke, you know. Okay. And, and why he hates them, he, he hates them, he says, because they want everything swept away. Whereas a conservative, he said the other big point that they have is the continuity between the past, the present and the future. They want that to be a nice, smooth continuity. You build on your roots, our history, you know, and all the rest of it. And I'll tell you who he, who he hates as, as, as the paradigm case of, of everything that's wrong. It's John Lennon, <laughs> you know. He says we're followers of John Lennon, you know. 
Oh, they offered great to admirers of John Lennon. Oh, he was a fucking genius, you know. But he was a man with a man with his flaws as well. It turned him into a religion, you know. And 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 then he goes through all of his bogeymen, bo- bo- and he's he's very very scared of the tech, you know. Digital currencies. I mean, uh, central bank digital currencies. He thinks are a great threat, and he's correct. I would, I've done a podcast about that. It's one of, one of the ones I did on my own. That that is correct. It's very dangerous. The opportunities for surveillance are amazing, and he doesn't like the opportunities for surveillance that are inherent in the technology. And neither does anybody with any any sense. And he's rightly suspicious of that. Even though contradictorily later on he's saying, well, in, in his vision of the future Britain, we will, be, we will become a high-tech centre and we'll develop AI and all the rest of it. Even though he's, 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 he's very, very fearful, almost Luddite, like a lot of people, about, about the imagined possibilities of AI. Um, on the one hand, and on the other hand, not wanting to be left, you know, there's a FOMO, a fear of missing out on the fact that this thing will be developed, whatever happens, you know, it may well kill us, you know, but the, 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 there obviously could be some benefits and he's willing to pursue that at the same time. He's massively contradictory around that stuff and I think this is, this is a common thing. They tend to be Luddites, you know, because, again, it, it, what this thing could do is it could create like a real rupture with the past. It could be that our future is so different from our past that all that continuity that they love and which they believe is essential for maintaining a culture you know, of, of, of flag shagging and royalty worship, you know, and, and, and sacrifice to community and nation, right? Sacrifice, they like that. And duty, right? They like that. And the family, they like that, you know. And the church, they like that. But all that stuff will be, will be completely discombobulated, completely dismembered, which the, the text stands a very good chance of doing. In fact, I would say we're in the midst of it having done it through some of the, you know, the, 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 less, the, less than, the less than useful consequences of social media and manipulation through, through, through Cambridge Analytica-style operations. So, I mean, some of the things that they don't like, I don't like either, you know, but the, but the idea that somehow the, the thing that is going to save us is this, is this fossilised culture with this, this massive conti- continuity and these old, these antediluvian and structures of monarchy and so forth. As far as the, but it's, it's weird, you know, as far as the markets are concerned, as far as the economy is concerned, they believe in free markets and pro- private property. Because free markets and market, pro- private property are the only ways that we will deliver prosperity. So you kind of think, you think, well, what's going on here? Has the guy, has the guy abandoned the Thatcherite thing? Well, no, they haven't. But what they've, ab- they've abandoned is a kind of a, the fundamentalism of it, you know. And he, he actually says somewhere, he said, you know, we mustn't turn the market into God. So, though they like a small state, like the neoliberals, you see, they're sort of like neoliberals with this, with this, but retreating on this one matter of, of, of state, community, individuality, and and, and 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 they are small state people, but they say the a small state that's, that's pretty strong, and it can intervene and it can, it can it can manage markets and it does have a role to manage markets, which Thatcher and Reagan denied. Yeah. Even though, 
a completely unmanaged markets have never ever ever happened in the history of the world from what I can make out I'm actually now reading a history of markets going back to Mesopotamia or something you know before the Greeks and the Romans and all the rest of it and from what I can say there's never been a, an unregulated market of some something somewhere but these guys are recognizing it and, and coming back to having regulated markets a part of which is protectionism because the nation state is big they they do actually want some sort of protectionism you know so this is the kind of uh, uh, and the, this is trump's move and this is why the word you said the neoliberals sent all of america's rust belt jobs to china where they where they could get the work done corporations could get the work done for a quarter of the price for the labor china offered itself up as a, as a, as a, a cheap labor node uh, uh, within the global network of power and and commerce known as neoliberalism so the so the rust belt in america was impoverished overnight pretty well the working class the blue collar trump trump says to him we'll we'll put in protectionist policies a ring of protectionism around america and we'll recreate your jobs he never did he promised it to them and they voted for him because they thought, well, he'll deal with it, but of course he, he didn't and he couldn't. Same here, same thing happened here, you know. And, and Mrs Thatcher, I mean, you could you could see her reign as presiding over the deindustrialisation of the country and all of those manufacturing jobs, that capitalism, uh, manufacturing capitalism, true proper capitalism proper exported to to China and and uh, Southeast Asia and uh, Taiwan and 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 so forth. So, so you you get this is where they differ. They they like free markets, but within a inside a protectionist fence to some degree. State is small but stronger, so it can manage. And private property still is the the thing. And again, it's pure bird. Free markets, private property. This will ensure prosperity. Now, there's another another thing I pulled out of it, and is that, he, that actually what he was doing but in a much sort of like apparently more civilised manner, was to repeat Enoch Powell's idea that conservatism <laughs> is the admission, the realistic and pragmatic admission to ourselves that our sympathies are limited. We can love our, we can love our partners and our children. We can like our neighbours. We can respect our community. We can be inculcated with love of country which they like because they like people to, to, to get steamed up about it and be willing to lie their lives down and, and get the bollocks shot off to fight its stupid wars. Right? And um, But we can't actually do what Jesus asked us to do. We should love everybody. He says you just can't do it. It's not, it's not within the human, the bounds of possibility. And therefore we should embrace this. You know, and, and he said it himself, you know. Um, Paul, he said, all of the man loves his own. And Burke, again, he's straight from Burke. Burke said, well, you know, our sympathies extend to those closest to us. And the biggest, the widest boundary is the nation state. And that's why we have to make a thing of it. But I, I, I see it as a philosophical justification for mean spiritedness. Yeah. Because I, I think you should have a go, you should have a go at embracing the old world. I'm not saying you can do it. I think it's, I think. And certainly, you know, the last Christian died on the cross, you know, nobody can do it. But we should have a go, 
Right. But these guys say, no, you don't have a go. Don't have a go. It's wrong to have a go. No. And they get, why why they get angry when when you, or call call you like student politics, when you actually think that, that, yeah, universal love for human beings should be be something that we kind of work for and and that our culture supports. We build a culture to support that and an economy to support that. So we don't spend the rest of human history killing each other en masse by the millions. Right, they turn around and 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 get very very snarky about that because I think it makes them feel guilty about the fact that they have decided within themselves and they've decided to make a virtue of not being able to extend your sympathies very far. You know, and it's 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 uh, something that they emphasise and and uh, they prod and poke that nerve all the time because they can use it. Right. This is the right in general by blaming others, you know, by the outside, the outsider, the foreigner. I listened to Rishi Sunak being interviewed this morning, and he said, "Stop the boat, stop the boat." About five times, oh. he's trying, he's doing an hypnotic thing, like they did with, you know, um, get Brexit, Brexit done, get Brexit <laughs> done, yeah. uh, take back control. Oh yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff. And now it's, now it's, now it's. Um, Stop the boats. And you can tell he's, he's behaving exactly like an hypnotist and he's been trying to do it. He's dropped it in. It, 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 can also, it could be talking about, it could be talking about, I don't know, the ferret trade in Northumberland, the summit. And he'd say, stop the boats. <laughs> he could just, just drop it in at the end of every sentence. Drop, stop the boats. Stop the boats. So it'll kind of like drip, 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 drip. You know. And so I think that is uh, the second weak point in the philosophy is, is, is the, the decision that it makes philosophically to account for human sympathies in a particular way and to recommend a particular character structure for human beings which their sympathies are lim- limited, right? That's the that's the one wrong point. The other the other is the thing about relying on God and nature as concepts to uphold the whole thing. In other words, trying to erect a, a, an architecture. So what else have we got? I mean, it's all for like family and the mar- marriage and for the family. And uh, I mean, again, they, they return to an argument, and this is an argument a bit like Heidegger's worst sort of mean spirited arguments. And it is that you, you know you are you are, you are born English. Actually, I would say now you're not born English or Welsh or, or American or anything like. You're just born like a blob of tabula rasa. If I was going to get all kind of um, lucky and about it, you know, you're not born English. It's acquired, you know, it's acquired through, through a, a traumatic process of child rearing and education and learning the language and all of that. It's a massive, massive complex, convoluted uh, and traumatic process to become an English Englishman from a, from a newborn baby or an English woman. But for him, that's like a given that happens right at the beginning. And, and he's therefore unquestioned. Again, it's the therefore unquestioned. And even, the, even Heidegger did that. He wouldn't question it. And yet it seemed to me that Dasein, if Dasein seems to have some sort of, you know, being there, the, the essence of being a conscious being, as some sort of belongingness in a place and a time and a community and a nationality and a language and a culture 
and a history. I would say Heidegger didn't do this, but one should ask the question. You know, how did this happen? Yeah. How, how did how did I become how did I become this? Because because you didn't drop into that, you dropped into just consciousness of a sort. You didn't drop into all all the matters of your particularity, which are ongoing all your life actually, accru- accruing, and some being sloughed off and all the rest of it. So he's wrong about that as well. I mean, he actually says conservatism is quite gloomy. He said, he said at one point, and I wrote it down. <laughs> conservatism is not a philosophy of liberation. You're not kidding. It's a philosophy of subjugation. Yeah. You know, and it is very much like know your place. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems to be what he's advocating here is. Uh, okay, so um, let's move away from the individual. It's all about creating mindless drones who will go to war if we tell them to. It seems to be kind yeah, of yeah. What, 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 he, what he wants for us. Yeah, oh, well, he, he does, he, he does and, and, and this group do five a bit, uh, big, big military spending and big, mili- yeah. big military. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So I suppose most of us in this society, you know, with the, the kind of standard of living and the, the quality of of peace that we've mostly had here and the, the fun that we've been al- allowed to have in our lives in mer- mm. lots of different ways and the liberties and the rights that you know we're not that excited about going off and uh, fighting in the trenches really no so they're trying to stoke that up as much as possible i'm not all, I'm, I'm not i'm not all that keen on being uh, uh, told I've, I've got to worship the, the nation state and its symbols <laughs> not really you know. no I'm a kind of, I am a citizen of nowhere. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know. and, I'm, and, and, and it it strikes me that it's the sensible option. So, so okay, I'll just, just say a few things about that. I mean, the philosophy is straight, straight from, from, uh, straight from Edmund Burke, the 18th century parliamentarian and writer. And, it has a number of faults in it. One of one of which I would uh, uh, I would say is the use of natural and God as, as kind of gra- uh, as, as though they unproblematically grounded this philosophy in some kind of unimpeachable. Yeah, well, that's like a massive foundational fault, isn't it? Right a, well, right foundationalism itself is a fault, you know, <laughs> right? And considering they're anti-universalist, they're actually doing, you know, the the, the very fundamental universalist, universalist move, which is start with God or the transcendental or, or, you know, the world soul or some kind of, something you can give a capital letter to, something big, you know. <laughs> so that is a mistake. There's the mistake I just mentioned about, about assuming that... that that one's particularities, say as an adult, weren't acquired, but somehow, somehow you drop into that set of particularities the minute you're born. You know, and I mean, a big question there is that, or is will we question it or not? I mean, he assumes that nobody will question it, or if they do, they're mad because this is the given. Is that that Kruger thinking that we won't question it? 
Yeah. Well, Kruger and Burke, you know, Kruger Burke. Can I call him Kruger Burke? Yeah. yeah. But but Kruger, I mean, he's a man of our modern age. You know, does he really he, he, think we're not going to question that? Well, he, he takes issue with the the fact that we've questioned him because that's John Lennon. Imagine, <laughs> imagine, no, you know, that's John Lennon. He thinks does it shouldn't. Does anyone under, under it 25 shouldn't. know who John Lennon even is these days? Oh yeah, the Beatles are huge, man. <laughs> Amongst the young, some certain sections of the youngsters. I'm just saying he could have come up with a slightly more modern example, but. Uh, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, he th- it, it's John Lennon he hates, you know. Yeah. Because I suppose it's it's you know it's, it's people who might might be old enough to be influenced by John Lennon, and they're coming to that time of life when they are perhaps have some influence, they perhaps have a, a more senior position in the corporation or the school, or or the the company, and they're starting to get a bit of authority because they're like fifty or something, you know. And they are ca- campaigning politically, and so forth. You know, I mean, you look at the XR pe- people. Most of them are like my age, <laughs> and they're kind of like doctors and kind of lawyers and stuff. You know, and I don't know. Anyway, that's a slight side trip. Now, the big, the big thing that I think he, he, that he gets wrong here is what he actually misses is in, in his account of society. He knows that something's gone wrong. And he thinks it's gone wrong because we've abandoned tradition and continuity. <laughs> and because we've abandoned the natural and, the, and therefore the God-given. And that we, we've, not, we, we've abandoned having religion at the centre of our... Of, of our um, at the centre of our culture and our society. These are all things that he explicitly said and which are explicitly stated in the uh, the US National Conservatism Manifesto. If you go to the US United States National Conservatism website, there's a list of about ten points or twelve points or whatever, which are the key the key points. And which uh, of, of this pseudo philosophy and uh, this guy Kruger follows them to the letter I would say. But the thing that they miss as the, is they treat the world as though the massive forces of persuasion, the massive communications industry, which attempts day and night to nudge populations into thinking certain ways, behaving certain ways. It's as though that was not like what the, one of the biggest features of the landscape when you look around the world that you live in. The thing that I see is that there's a, a trillion dollar industry devoted to persuading me to be a, go, a, a good citizen according to certain lights, you know, and to nudge my behaviour. And that this, this is perhaps one of the biggest industries on the planet, which incidentally is mostly... Um, bankrolled by two investment companies globally, the whole world. It's as though that didn't exist, as though, as though all our, natu- our attitudes and things that, that we arrive at hadn't been impinged upon by these mechanisms of propaganda, education, child rearing patterns, advertising, nudging, and of course all, all on steroids thanks to Facebook, Cambridge Analytica and this tech, this 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 tech which can emancipate us and imprison us all at the same time. 
It's as though that did not exist. And I think that's one of the chief ways it go all of this this picture of the world goes wrong. So are the National Conservatives uh, fascists? Is that is that what we're looking at? Because that's what's all over Twitter. That's the big debate at the moment, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. And uh, I, I know there's a lot of people saying it, that, that they are fascists, you know, or that the attendees at the conference are fascists. Certainly some are very out on the loony right. And they have invited a broad church of people, as I, as I mentioned earlier, to... to to, perhaps to indicate that they, they're free speech wallers, you know, and they tolerate debate. They're trying to encourage debate. They're trying to put it, put the whole event in these these terms. Now, the actual Kruger I'm taking as as, as being somebody who adheres to uh, this doctrine of national conservatism, which differs from neoliberalism, though retaining some of its features like well, fr- free markets and, uh, and private property. Uh, and in turn, that, that national conservatism is, is a modern rehash of Burke's political ideas from the 18th century. From there, I would say we can take a look at national conser- conservatism in its own terms as, as to what it... You know, we, we, we can see what it claims to be and what its points of principle are and, and make a decision from that. And there are certain fa- 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 fascistic moments in Burke himself, I would say. And, but the National Conservatism website the US version of the website and there are different there are different versions of, 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 of there are different outposts of this movement it, 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 it's the right international or one side of the right international and then it's American articulation it's it's pretty right wing but it's not fascist and I'll tell you for why in a minute um, and also, I mean, I need to mention in this context for this for what I'm about to say to make sense and, and to and to explain to you why I'm looking at the American uh, statement. And it is because this articulation in London the other last week is is pretty much a, a U.S. import. It's receiving a lot of its impetus from U- U- United States political developments, United States culture, and so on. So, the US National Conservatism Manifesto, if you want to call, call it that. Um, I think they list 10 points. And I'm going to go through them, I think, just so you can see where they're fascist adjacent and where not, you know. I mean... Their vision is this, I'll quote, A word of independent nations is the only alternative to universalist ideologies seeking to impose a homogenising, locality-destroying imperium over the entire globe. Now, we agree, I would say, that there is there are ideologies seeking to impose a homogenising, locality-destroying imperium over the entire globe, and those, they are right-wing ideologies. That's what neoliberalism has, in fact, more or less almost achieved 
but has destroyed itself in the process of trying to achieve it. That should be the real target here. The, the notion that a world of independent nations is the only alternative to it strikes me as absolutely balmy. Why? Why is it the only alternative? Have you no imagination? But anyway, and then it lists the points of, uh, uh, that... that um, then it lists the principles that would enable this programme to go forward. First is national independence. The second is a rejection of imperialism and globalism. Certainly reject imperialism and imperialist globalism, but not globalism if it means solidarity with all the working people in the world. Right. Uh, the third point is national government. Now the fourth point is the one that interests me, and again this is a big mistake, is that God and public religion are very important. And it says in, 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 the, uh, state, in the statement from the US National Conservatives. And this was reiterated by Kruger at the NatCon conference. Here's the quote. No nation can long endure without humility and gratitude before God and fear of his judgment that are found in the authentic religious traditions which they equate with the Bible which should be read in all schools and universities. So you kind of think, well, I'll carry on a Christian again here. So what happens to all the people in our country who are not Christians? All the people in America who are not Christians? Even though there are fewer of them there than here. And uh, there's this little side there at the bottom. It says, but Jews can do their thing and religious coercion is discouraged. So they try and say we're going to be tolerant to other religions, but basically we're going to be a Christian country. Well, I think they had to do that, not to make the fascist libel stick. They had to say, well, we're not anti-Semites. But I would point out that uh, Mussolini wasn't an anti-Semite. And that Italian fascism, you know, which precedes uh, German, German Nazism by a good many years, was not anti-Semitic. And that Jews joined Mussolini's fascist party. Jews actually joined it. And they only became anti-Semitic in Italy under the influence of the Germans when it, took, when it became apparent they would be the senior partner in the, uh, the Axis powers in World War II. And then they started rounding up Jews and sending them off to Germany to be gassed. But the original fascist party had Jewish members. So, anyway, they're, they're trying to distance themselves from anti-Semitism uh, and, and they may be sincere about that. Uh, number five, the rule of law. Um, we must put rioting to an end. <laughs> Number six, economy, private property and free enterprise. But not a rational plan dictated by the state. This is a quote from Marx. I mean, Marx absolutely haunts these guys, just like Jeremy Corbyn haunts the, the, the modern Tories. You know. But then they say, the free market cannot be absolute. And this is where there's the, 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 the revolt against Thatcher. Thatcher wanted to make the free market almost absolute these guys are saying no that's too much and it, it doesn't really they, they're actually getting the empirical message that it doesn't actually work how Thatcher and Reagan imagined it was going to work there are now some sunlit uplands of neoliberalism there is only fucking global meltdown literally meltdown and there's a tendency to protectionism so you shouldn't buy Chinese goods we shouldn't import Chinese goods they're anti-transnational corporations. 
and anti-crony capitalism. Well, 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 congratulations, these are the right moves. Not like they didn't make any right moves. I made about three right moves for the wrong reasons, <laughs> you know, and concluded a lot of wrong stuff from, from, from the fact that they'd embraced those right moves. Anyway, number seven, public research. Um, they see as a good, and, and, and I think this is something that Thatcherism and Reaganism, at least theoretically, uh, wanted to unravel. I mean, they're talking about the moonshot. The only way a man could be put on the moon was was, was through the mobilising the resources of, of the biggest, most powerful and wealthiest state the world has ever seen. It can't be done. It couldn't be done in the first instance by a private company. Now it'll be done by a private company in our lifetime probably. But only because they did it first and used all the massive resources of the state to develop the technology and, and do all logistics of, of the job, you know using the, the organisational powers of the state. So these guys want to bring that back, but they, they castigate the universities for being globalist and anti-nationalist in their sentiment, and therefore to have betrayed the potentiality for public research to produce technological developments that will make us all prosperous. Number eight, family and children. The monogamous family is the foundation of civilizations. And it's what they say. And they this which is why they this is why they kind of can be funny about sexuality. And there's a lot of sexual sexual anxiety in all this. Wilhelm Reich was, was right that fascism is actually caused by sexual anxiety according to him, you know. Or, or lack of orgasmic potency or something. A crazy, a crazy theory, but it's it always struck me intuitively as having something in it. You know, that really, really sexually frustrated people are likely, are likely to end up being angry and violent. But there you go. I mean, I put in my notes here that it's pure fantasy that the monogamous family will be the foundation of civilization. And is it the foundation of civilization? Really? Can you, we know anthropologically there have been civilizations that haven't been based on the family. Certainly not the patriarchal family. There have been civilizations based on everything you can fucking imagine. And there will be civilizations with a bit of look and a following in, based on some stuff that we haven't yet imagined. It's a very, very narrow vision of what's possible. Our neighbours are having some work done, so that, uh, that drilling in the background, I do hope it's not too disturbing, but that's what that yeah, is. Yeah, it's a pain in the arse, isn't it? <laughs> so number, number nine was immigration. And they say, they, the, the claim is, but immigration policy needs to be flexible and in the national interest when it's allowed, and assimilationist. In other words, anybody who comes in has got to be converted into an Englishman or whatever. Now, number 10 is interesting again. They, they, they claim to be against racial discrimination. And they say that strong nationalism will override the, 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 the tendencies of racial, uh, racial discrimination. They imagine that if, if we can have enough allegiance and love for the nation state, flag shagging, in other words, that that will undermine people's tendency towards racism, which they pursue. Anyway, again, they've distanced themselves from fascism by... By, by, by claiming to be against racial discrimination. So they've been very careful. This particular 
faction of the right has been very, very careful to not be hostage to fortune on the fa- on the fascist accusation. But I think it's I think it does sail very, very close. The nationalism. The the emphasis is on the family. The em- the emphasis on, on 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 society being held together by religion and shared belief. All of this is very fascistic. This is the kind of thing they like. And uh, and they're not immune to creating scapegoats. So that's the ten points that are on on the that, that American website. And as I say, uh, Kruger. I've been listening to his speech pretty well as as has written his structured his speech around these points, and all of these points can be found in Burke, as well. And there are many signatories to to this manifesto, including Peter Thiel, he's a far right billionaire, I would say, and Charlie Kirk, uh, founder of Turning Points, which there is a UK branch, Turning Point UK, which is an attempt to mobilise young people behind these ideas. So it's not it's not it's not it's not pleasant, but they're careful to try and distance themselves from kind of florid fascism. But there's enough. It's fascist adjacent, I would say, and and the people they're prepared to get into bed with are definitely fucking suspect. So I think that's what I've got to say about about him. And just, I think it kind of did sort of sum it sum it up really. But of course, you know, the the, the overall tenor of the thing was that well, there is no coherent ideology here. Somebody on Politics Joe, for instance, said, oh, well, there's no, they've got no idea what they're doing. They're flailing around all over the place. But underneath it all, and, and the organisational force behind it, uh, whether this will go anywhere within conservatism or not is another matter, um, has attempted to produce a coherent philosophy based on the work of Edmund Burke. But Burke's work isn't coherent. Uh, and it falls down in exactly the same way that this uh, keynote speaker at the conference, uh, Kruger, uh, Kruger's uh, ideas do, and we've outlined them. And uh, I mean, philosophically, it, it, it has these massive lacunae. It's the things that it doesn't say. It's the thing that it, that it pretends not to notice, which actually loom incredibly large on the horizon, which really kind of defeats the whole thing as a conceptual ed- edifice. Right, so the, the big debate is, are these people dangerous or not? I think that they've made a massive mistake at making all this stuff really public. I, I'd be highly surprised if this really flies with the public There'll be some people who'll go for it and uh, be impressed by it. But I think by and large, a lot of it, and certainly the stuff which is getting the most airtime, is so insane that it's very repellent and unattractive. And uh, it makes you definitely (laughs) think about the Tories in a a different way, I would Mm. imagine, for most people. Because we know that they've been talking about all of this stuff. Uh, for ages, so it's mo- not a surprise. Bear in mind these people are a faction. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're deliberately trying to pull against another faction. Yeah. yeah. But um, I think a lot of people don't, especially an awful lot of uh, uh, cons- you know, maybe uh, older conservative voters, older conservative voters who just very pleasant people 
and they've always voted conservative and they own their own home and they yeah they have quite a peaceful life and probably do charity work and you know they don't they don't really know that just how how bonkers they are and how evil they are Mm. so if they're paying attention i think even traditional conservative voters will be a little bit feeling a bit uh, squeamish so i don't don't think they've really done themselves any favors Mm. i mean i i think it's quite good that they are they're 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 exposing themselves so boldly They do feel empowered to do that, though, and I think it's like GB News, Fox News, yeah, you know the the, the American razzmatazz, which they try to again. It's, it's an import of that tendency, you know, and they are emboldened to expose it, which I think it tells us something about the zeitgeist, you might say. Yes, it does. It does. It does feel yeah. like a real turning point at the moment. Mm. But going back to the, the questions of are they dangerous, or is this going to blow up in their face in such a way that it will just disempower them? Well, yeah. Well, my, my my view is that they that they are dangerous. I don't I don't agree with the people that think that we shouldn't be a little tiny bit at least watchful uh, about what's going on here. Uh, you know, on the grounds that they 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 don't know what they're doing. On on the grounds that that some of the people they're willing to sort of give a platform to are just f- f- floridly bonkers. You know. <laughs> And, and repellent and, and, and deep, deeply repellent and the, the unpleasantness of their characters and the twistedness of their characters shines forth and all, all of that uh, you know is true enough but I don't, I don't think it, it negates the idea that we should be a little bit Watchful of what's going on, going, going on here, you know. And uh, I do think I do think they're da- dangerous, but whether they'll gain any ascendancy, I don't know. They are pitching for some ascendancy within the right to give it a new direction, which I've gone into the detail of that. Of how it marks a, a, a disruption with with the last fifty years. Um, you know, a break with the last fifty years with with the, the the neoliberalism, but of course the neoliberalism is just systemically collapsing under its own contradictions now, uh, with terrible consequences around the world within a context of global warming and ecological catastrophe, within a context of all the fragmentary forces that I've outlined again and again and again and again, which are cultural, political, economic, and ecological. And, and this uh, the, this conference is really a symptom of that collapse. It's their rearguard action to rescue the the project, the, the conservative project, by tweaking it away from the individual and towards community, away from rights and towards duty, and so on. But at the, at the uh, but at the end of the day, this is thought to be a better way, or the best way of keeping capitalism going. Yeah, and and it involves some sort of fairly radical restructures to it because these guys do not like the transnational corporation which is really where the power lies in the world today so it's an interesting phenomenon the key thing to remember here is that the right is fragmented and the left is fragmented we know that the world is fragmented and but don't imagine that they are a monolithic force they're not 
these guys have actually declared a kind of a civil war within the, within the right, you know, in a very, very polite kind of way, some of them. Yeah, but I'm, in a not very polite way, some of the others, you know, because they, they're mad. <laughs> well, the fact that the other conference happened shortly after yeah. kind of really demonstrates that, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly when, 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 when that happened. It was, but it was, at the week, it was either the weekend before or the week after, weekend after in Bournemouth. I think it's something like Conservative Democracy, Democracy and Conservatives, Democratic Conservatives, summer. Got the word Democracy, got the word Conservative. As Liz Truss and her gang. Because they... Well, they had this conference to to extol the virtues of uh, Hayekian neoliberalism. You know, they they're trying to do the, the, the to to reinstate the fundamentalism of that because Boris Johnson was an interventionist to some extent. You know, now these guys don't like Johnson because he was because li- he's a libertine, and they're all about the family and lifelong fidelity in marriage, right? Yeah. Boris Johnson has now sexual anxieties. He's an alley cat, <laughs> you know. But these guys have got sexual anxieties, and they retreat into the the the, the bourgeois patriarchal family. But yeah, another conference. Liz Truss shilling for the the the, the thing that these guys are saying was a mistake because it let in the Wokarati. <laughs> Because I mean, if you if you if you just turn individualism into the official, into the official doctrine of your country, what's to stop all the young people from becoming hippies? <laughs> precisely nothing. Oh, this is precisely what has fucking happened. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So may you live in interesting times. You know, it's nearly as interesting as Burke's time. <laughs> But also going back to the the are they dangerous? It's like the uh, who who was at the conference because I've heard that the uh, nobody the the audience was actually surprisingly small. I yeah. wondered if if this was deliberate yeah. or whether they just couldn't get anyone to come. No, I, th- I think I think I, I, I think because it's like an American import and a confection. It's something that's manufactured. You know, they're trying to start a movement. Now, somebody somebody has smuggled his way in because he's got a posh accent. Uh, said um, he looked around the wall and said there was loads of empty seats so it was all a lie about there's no room for any for any left wing journalists they'd got room for them they just didn't want them to report on it right and they're very selective about what they let out and what they don't let out right and uh, he said he looked around the room and he said it's mostly young men about 30 mm. you know and I think the danger is, is that they are grooming young men uh. you know Quite similar to uh, another another historical figure, Adolf Hitler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but as I said, they have tried to distance themselves from 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 fascism, but I'm sure they would like a Freikor, you know. Or well, a, I'm sure they're taking a few tips out yeah. the uh, the old note, notebook there. Oh yeah, yeah, of course they have. <laughs> And I suppose, you know, you said, oh, they're fascists. Well, I said they've distanced themselves from anti-Semitism. They've distanced themselves from racism. But they could still be fascists in that sense of... Um, and also they've distanced themselves from the from the entanglement of, of, sta- of state power and corporate power. At least, 
at least on the international level but on the national level I think they'd be all for it you know which I think was I, I don't think Mussolini was thinking internationally I think he was thinking about when he when he made this formulation he was thinking about Italy you know we get the corporations and we get the state and we have the same people and the same power dynamic and, and they work for the state and the state works for them and the working class can just be slaves producing the actual wealth and I think that picture does loom, loom in here because free, free markets and private property you're going to get corporations well okay they get too big but the limit there's a limit placed on their size by the allegiance to the nation state you can see the thinking you know it's it, it, it kind of got it's got a like a, a primitive kind of sense to it but it emits too much it emits class struggle it emits the dynamism of everything because it has this love for continuity it wants everything to change gradually and for for, for, for me to recognise the society that m my mum and dad lived in and, and to recognise the society my granddad lived in and my great granddad lived in for our children to recognise the society we live in but the chances of that happening are remote because the whole thing is massively more dynamic than this picture allows. I mean, the thing I get from Burke's picture, reading Burke again, is that what an incredibly static universe he imagines. Even though he lived through the American Revolution, the famines in Bengal and the, and the crimes of the East India Company, and the French Revolution, and yet he still has this kind of static picture of nature and God as the unchanging to which we refer and build everything upon. I don't buy that. Everything is changing. There is nothing static anywhere, ever. You know. So, I think they are kind of like fascist adjacent. They've got something kind of new going, but it's not pleasant. And it will, as you said, this is not an emancipatory philosophy. This is not a philosophy of liberation. And if you're a working class person wants more say over your life, more, more, more security in your life, more participation in the decisions made at your workplace in your life and in your community in your life, you're not going to get it from these guys. No. So to give it that they, I would assume that they understand that they are taking a bit of a risk releasing this stuff to the public... Because they know that they're releasing things which are quite different to stuff that they've put out before, put it that way. Why do you think they they have chosen to do this? I, I think it's a bit of an odd choice. But when we were talking about this before, we were thinking around the ideas that this was more for American consumption yeah. than for the voting British public. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've heard that. I've heard that line and I'm not sure, sure about it. I think there's a little something in it, probably. I mean, a lot of the pundits and um, independent media, and, and even, I don't know, people in, in The Guardian and those sort of places are saying things like, well, none of this will fly in this country because the God stuff is too big. I mean, it is the actual foundation of all this is, is God and religion. I mean, Burke said... Religion is the foundation of civil society. And this Kruger chap, Danny Kruger, repeated that more or less verbatim. And this is the very foundational concept at the root of this whole world picture and this whole programme of for the human future. 
is that, that, that God lies at the bottom of everything and we refer everything to God. It's a pure transcendentalism. And the thought amongst the punditry, particularly on the left in the UK, is that this won't fly in Britain because this is a massively secular culture. And it did uh, today or yesterday, there was a report published saying Britain's something like the the second most unreligious country in the world after China. Only 17% of Chinese believe in God. And I think over it, it's dropped from like 50% 10 years ago, 20 years ago to sort of 25% or something. We've got virtually no attendance or allegiance to, to formalised religion. It's a few percent, one, two percent. Whereas America has got this massively influential evangelical right, uh, what Chris Edges calls is the, Chris, the Christian fascist right, you know, which swing elections across America throughout the Bible Belt, you know, and which every politician feels he has to appeal to, and which Trump... The most deprived man managed to get gain the allegiance of through some jiggery pokery about Armageddon, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> these people are deeply, deeply irrational, and that's what makes them fascist. It's the degree of irrationality. We've got the same thing here, actually. There is there is an espousable irrationality, and Burke again said he preferred instinct to reason. Oh yeah? God! <laughs> and I was getting a sense of that. He's not prepared to quite say. Too loud, but he was whispering it, I would say, or intimating it uh, in his speech. The, the Kruger guy, D- Danny Kruger, MP, actually showed that he has a similar or- or- orientation. I mean, he repeats the kind of Govian Spanish Civil War fascist motto, you know, don't trust intelligence or experts, you know. I mean, basically, uh, you know, a, a, a distrust of expertise, a distrust of reason which is a profoundly fascist move, you know. I mean, that would give some weight to the suspicion that this is for American consumption. And I think how that would work is that you put this thing on in London and a lot of people are mystified by it, you know. And and somebody said, a bewildering array of ideological position. Nothing coherent happening here at all. They don't know what they're doing. They're not going to get anything together. I mean, I'm, I'm finding that there is a semi-coherent philosophy, an attempt to create a coherent philosophy at quite, quite a high level, but nevertheless, which is kind of amateurish. Um, but at least there's a, there is an attempt at the core of the thing and that they are prepared to gather around them anybody who's sort of adjacent, even if they're a bit off the wall. And, uh, well, the idea that it's for American consumption is that you get a report in the Washington Post on page three, you know, saying, oh, conference in London, you know, went down well. So, and members of, get this, members of the government f- uh, appearing at it, right? Yeah. The Home Secretary appearing at it. That's newsworthy. And what that does, it gives some encouragement to those fucking trivialoid um, evangelical loons uh, in America, you know, who espouse this American conservatism to say that they're not alone, you know, that it's a global movement, right? And that even members of the government in the UK are prepared to to speak at the conference extolling the virtues of this worldview. So you see that the, 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 you put on a little conference in London to give that little bit of support and sucker to... Um, an, an American movement 
that's wanting to nudge American capitalism into protectionism, which is a kind of Trumpian manoeuvre, uh, and 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 into distancing themselves from the individualism of the pure neoliberalism. Now, I mean, I think there's probably something in that. I don't know. Uh, I mean, how would you decide? We don't know what went on behind closed doors. But but my guess is that there's something of that has gone on. You know, and it is definitely an American-influenced thingy. Um, but at the same time, I think somebody sat sat down and decided now is the time. You know, this is a bid to make make give yourself a position, to get known, to give yourself a reputation. I could definitely see this Kruger's trying to trying to position himself as a, as, as a Tory intellectual, as a thinking a thinking conservative, you know, that oxymoron, like John Redwood or somebody like that, or Oliver Letwin or somebody, you know, this uh, supposed intellectuals, you know. And I think somebody decided the time is right on the basis of what's happening in the Conservative Party now, bearing in mind that they still have a huge majority in the Commons, but they, they, all they can do is fight like cats and dogs amongst themselves. You know, and there's at least three factions, major factions. There's this lot, there's the trust lot, and and then I suppose there's the Boris lo- lovers who, who who don't like this kind of social conservatism because their main man's a fucking libertine. You know, this is anti-libertine. They hate libertines. You know, because they break up the conserv- they, they break up the patriarchal bourgeois Christian family, one man, one woman. No sexual experimentation. There's a lot of sexual anxiety in this, which is, again is a sign of fascism. So, and then there's the, uh, and then there's the, the the Cameronites. You know, these these are people a bit well, like David Cameron, who, who think that we can be, you know, socially liberal. In other words, you know. We could countenance perhaps legalising some soft drugs. We could we 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 countenance like and take it as just a fact of life that people might get married three or four times in a lifetime, that families might have children from different fathers, different mothers, and all the rest of it. I countenance that, uh, and 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 see government as a technocratic process, which they'll do along the lines of 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 looking after capitalism, and. Defending private property and and free and free markets, having some, at least some idea of the free market or a free market. So this this is I mean somebody put it they said this is a battle for the soul of conservatism, <laughs> and it, it it kind of is, but it shows in the sense that they got no soul because it's so thin and empty. When push comes to shove, you know. Okay, everyone, thanks for being here with us in our living room today. I hope you found that interesting, and we'll speak to you again soon.